The AMA Moving Medicine podcast highlights innovation and emerging issues that impact physicians and patients today. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's Moving Medicine video and podcast. Today, we're joined by Dr. Jillian Horton, Associate Chair of the Internal Medicine Department at the University of Manitoba Max Rady College of Medicine in Winnipeg, Canada, and author of the national bestseller, We're All Perfectly Fine, a memoir of love, medicine, and healing. Dr. Horton will share with us how physicians are sharing their stories and how that helps them address complicated issues around physician burnout. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Dr. Horton, thanks so much for joining us today. I know this issue is very personal to you, and I thought we could just start out um, having you share your own personal story of burnout and what ultimately helped you. Thank you so much for having me, Todd. It really is lovely to be here with you today. So I came to a realization about five years ago that I was at a point in my career that unless something changed, I was going to have difficulty continuing to practice medicine. And it was a slow realization because when I look back, I think for many years, I had actually been cycling in and out of burnout. I never recognized it or labeled it as such because my patient care never really seemed to be affected. And the way that I related to patients or felt or engaged at work never seemed to be affected. But when I got home at the end of the day, there was nothing left of me for my kids, for my spouse, for my family, my extended family and my friends. And as a result of that realization or around the same time as this had begun to dawn on me, I traveled down to a program at the University of Rochester where the mindful practice program originated, um, invented or created rather by Ron Epstein and Nick Krasner. And that put me on a very different path, um, skills that I continue to apply today and change the way that I see and approach burnout, both as a clinician and an academic, but also as a human being. I'm a meditator myself. I found it to be very Mm. helpful and uh, in my life. And I think mindfulness is uh, an extremely powerful tool. Uh, What's interesting to me is uh, how did you get to this idea about storytelling? Because uh, that's a different, a different, a different thing. And you know, when did you find out that this was uh, really powerful for you? Well, you know, what's really interesting, Todd, is the mindful practice program utilizes a lot of storytelling, a lot of roots of narrative medicine, shared stories, um, connecting with peers over important events in our life, sometimes events that have occurred in our careers that we've never resolved. And there's a heavy emphasis on telling our stories in ways that allows us to see ourselves from sort of a strength-based or asset-based approach, as many would call it, using appreciative inquiry. And then also trying to divine, you know, through our stories and reflecting on our experiences, what do we find the most meaningful? Where did we derive meaning? What was the meaning in our suffering? And I I think, you know, I've always been a writer. I've always been, was an aspiring writer for many years before I published this book. And I think it's no mistake, you know, sort of no fluke that just at the time this work came into my life and transformed it, that I really found my voice as a storyteller, because a lot of those skills, the emotional processing, the consolidation, they all turned out to be related and also related to being more mindful. How does that then bring about change? How, how have you experienced that? Well, you know, one of the things just to talk about meditation for a few minutes, I mean, many of us will be familiar with the 
physiologic origins of how meditation helps us. You know, one of the things we're doing is hacking our vagal nerve and we know that we see associated um, functional MRI changes when we have been meditating for a long time, thickening of our prefrontal cortex, shrinking of our amygdala, improving um, our sort of emotional consolidation and self-awareness. All those things are rooted in the literature. But one of the things that I found is that meditating, you know, I, I would like to think that most people that I work with would experience me as a person that they would describe as nice or kind. I think this work, you know, by modulating my reactivity and, you know, we do know from the literature as well that mindfulness practices and meditating can increase our agreeability, our benevolence, but certainly it influenced all those things at work. You know, I just became outwardly as well as inwardly a calmer person, a person whose periods of reactivity or um, expressions of, of stress and irritation, I think would attenuate much more quickly. But I also developed more of a sense of just being present in my own life. You know, I always thought I was pretty present with my patients and I think most of them would still describe me as that in that way, but qualitatively something changed. I began to experience that in a much more profound way, you know, that the presence itself began to seem not just like something that I did or that was an aspect of my clinical identity, but also that it was something quite fundamental to, you know, my most, in sort of my most intimate um, identity as a clinician, that it was uh, a tool and an aspect of my clinical identity that just began to feel totally different. And I think anyone who's done this kind of work knows exactly what I'm talking about. You sort of sink into yourself and there's a moment when instead of thinking about everything else ahead of you, all the stresses, the pressures, you're just there. You're just with the person. And that is very satisfying. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about, obviously the last two years have thrown a wrench into a lot of things with the pandemic. And uh, like many things, we've seen the issue of physician burnout uh, increase with the pandemic. Again, something that was already there uh, made worse. Mm -hmm. Has this kind of storytelling become, you know, even more important uh, in the last two years? So I think we've seen a few really interesting trends with physician narratives and actually all healthcare provider narratives during the pandemic. One is those kind of frontline eyewitness stories, not just about what we're seeing and experiencing, but also what is it like to be that person, to be um, healthcare workers on the front lines. We've seen a really profound interest in the media in hearing those stories. And I think it's broken to some degree a psychological barrier. You know, I, I would imagine for many of your listeners, there might be a similarity that we share, which is before about 14 months ago, I had never spoken to the media about anything to do with healthcare. I'd talked a little bit about my writing, I'd written some op-eds, but I had never had a conversation with a reporter or a national news anchor about what was happening in my life as a clinician or our life in the hospital. And so I think something important is sort of a psychological barrier for many of us has been broken. Mm -hmm. But I also think leading up until this time, we have been seeing a shift, you know, certainly for years, we've been seeing stories about burnout in hospital. Um, so many of uh, your American physicians, um, Dr. Sinsky, Dr. Shanafelt, so many others, you know, leading this work. But what I viscerally sense is we have gone a little bit from headlines about the story um, and the problem of physician burnout to really personal stories, 
you know, and one of the, I, I think of the story of Dr. Lorna Breen as being a very fundamental shift, you know, we sort of went from hearing about the crisis of physician suicide to hearing about a person, an individual whose name has become synonymous with paying the ultimate price for the loss of one's mental health in medicine. And I think the more individuals, and tragically, I mean, I wish no individual name had to be associated with this story, but the more individuals become associated with these narratives, the more it allows the public to really begin to understand the human cost, to relate to us, to take the story from concept to something very personal, it generates empathy in them, and then people can begin to align with us to try to address some of the um, really challenging circumstances in medicine that so often pose a threat to our mental health, mm -hmm. our well-being, and our ability to care for us. Curated from more than 3,000 major newspapers, magazines, and journals, the AMA Morning Rounds newsletter delivers the top stories in healthcare right to your inbox Monday through Friday. Subscribe today and check out all the AMA's free newsletters at ama-assn.org slash myinbox. That's ama-assn.org slash myinbox. You know, we've had a couple of uh, episodes over the last two years about Dr. Breen and uh, yeah. with folks from the uh, Breen Foundation. And I know that uh, part of that is, you know, the encouragement of physicians to speak out and speak up and not to be afraid to do that. I'm curious, you know, from in, in your recommendations, where where is the storytelling occurring and who's listening to it? Great questions. So, you know, sometimes storytelling is occurring, occurring informally. People at department meetings, people at their, um, you know, in residence trainees in, in forums, their retreats, and they're telling um, about their experiences and sharing those things. And informal storytelling is important. But, you know, I think one of the single most important things we can do and particularly as we become more senior and more visible in our leadership roles, we can very intentionally choose where we tell stories. And we have to do that with what is called in the business literature, selective vulnerability. So we really have to think about if I get up on that stage and tell a story about my own burnout or perhaps from someone else, it's, for someone else, it's a story about their mental illness or a struggle with some difficult aspect of being a physician. Would it help me? Would it have helped me to have heard this story from someone else? Would it help me now? You know, this is one of the really important questions I think we can ask ourselves so that we, you know, because it, sometimes we can venture into um, oversharing that isn't really well thought out. And again, mm -hmm. to be really clear, I don't mean people shouldn't say whatever selective, they- selective. Selective, that's right. So really, <laughs> really considering, you know, is this just catharsis, a download of trauma, or is this intentionally placed and, and you know, still raw, still honest, still authentic, but, you know, put out there for a reason to help, to be of service to someone else and not just me in the telling, even though that is often a, often a valuable byproduct. So really thinking, you know, about the where and the why, but then seeing if we can find that courage to be vulnerable and step onto those large stages at conferences, at events, um, in media, to tell our stories, knowing hopefully that they will humanize our profession 
profession for other people and that those who have gone through some of those experiences that we know are very, very common in medical training, you know, our traumas, our losses, sometimes our private struggles with mm -hmm. mental health. Um, the more we can put those onto large stages where those stories will reach the largest audiences, the more powerful their impact will be. Well, you mentioned uh, Dr. Christine Sinsky's leading uh, a lot of the work on burnout, physician wellness yes. at the AMA. And of course, I've, I've learned through uh, talking with her and the, the research they've done is that uh, burnout is a system level issue uh, that needs to be addressed that, uh, in that way. You know, when you're thinking about uh, the intersection of, of that learning and your work, what, mm -hmm. you know, what can healthcare leaders do uh, to build a culture that makes it easier uh, for physicians to open up uh, in this way and help each other? Well, one thing I just want to say, and, you know, I'm such a fan of Dr. Sinsky and her work. She's had such a profound impact on so many of our careers and the way that we conceive of so many um, fundamental issues within physician wellness. But, you know, one important thing I would say to many healthcare leaders keep your hands on the right domains. So when we think of the, um, the Stanford model for uh, physician fulfillment, professional fulfillment, you know, as you say, the issues are predominantly system issues. About 80% of the problem traces back to system issues, culture of wellness and efficiency of practice. But what we often see is a pattern where organizations try to kind of put their hand into the personal resilience third of that wheel, um, which really is called personal resilience for a reason because it belongs to us. And I just think it's a really important distinction because when it comes to mindfulness, I always ground anytime I'm going to talk to a group about mindfulness or work around mindfulness. I'm very intentional with how I'm framing it. And I say, you know, I share this with you person to person. I don't share this with you as a solution for the massive system problems that our organizations need to address. This doesn't belong to them. This belongs to us and to me and you. And I do this work to fortify myself so I can continue to work within a toxic, broken system for long enough to make it better for the next generation. So that's one piece. But the second piece, what can leaders do? Of course, we know that authentic, compassionate leadership is a critical determinant of what it feels like and what it is like like to work in a particular environment, what the culture is like. Do our leaders care about us? Do they know us? Do we feel seen by them and protected by them? And psychological, um, is psychological safety offered? So, you know, all those things kind of go without saying, but I think as it applies to storytelling, just to hone in on that for a minute, you know, I think it, it is so powerful when and leaders of organizations tell authentic stories that make them appear as vulnerable and as human as the rest of us. And I think right now we know that organizations where people, uh, where leaders are acknowledging their limitations, talking about, you know, what the unknowns are, what they are struggling with, what they are worried about, as opposed to simply being prescriptive as opposed to this one is really incendiary, just saying, be kind to everyone. I've written a bit about this, I call it kindness, kindness gaslighting, you know, where we just sort of pave over all the complex, difficult emotions that people have and, and just give this platitude, you know, really avoiding doing those kinds of things and just trying to be there in the now with your people, asking what they need, how this has affected them and how, what you can provide to make things better. That kind of, you know, it does also trace back to 
to mindfulness in a sense. It's that sort of curiosity. It's noticing. It's embracing uncertainty, knowing that we can't mitigate it or obliterate it. It's just a part of our experience right now. I think those kinds of mindset pieces are so critical for leaders um, getting their people through these times because, of course, we have a really long road ahead of us. We've said that uh, physicians need to be willing to rewrite their ending. What do you mean by that? So when we look at stories that many of our senior leaders often tell us about their medical training, what do we often hear? We hear, well, you know what? I worked a hundred hour work weeks for four years, but it made me better. Or I was um, a young junior surgical resident and this person used to throw instruments at me and, you know, it toughened me up. And very often, you know, there's this concept called narrative fallacy, which many of your listeners may be familiar with. It's a term coined by Nassim Taleb. And the idea is that when we look back at events that have occurred, our minds are really good at creating stories. You know, we don't see things in a, um, a sort of a disconnected random fashion. We try to create something linear from point A to point B. And sometimes because we survived traumatic or difficult events, we make a fundamental attribute error. We say, well, those events helped me get to point B. And it can be very difficult because often that is how we created a narrative that allowed us to survive, that allowed us to survive difficult traumatic experiences, having things thrown at us, working beyond any physiologic limitation that any living human has. And so I think it can be very difficult and painful, actually, for us to look back and say, you know what, that actually probably didn't help me. There's probably a whole other version of myself that didn't live through those experiences that might have been much better if not for them. I did survive, but I'm going to be willing to create a new story about them that perhaps will allow me to see the next generation's experience differently, to respond to their needs differently, and to be part of this movement of making meaningful change in medical culture. Dr. Horton, thank you so much for being with us today. I feel better just talking to you. So uh, uh, thank you for uh, the advice. And uh, if someone was to find out more about, uh, uh, you know, this, where would they look? Yeah, so um, the Mindful Practice Program at the University of Rochester, if you just Google that, uh, lots of great um, resources on a Mindful Practice landing page there, including how to take the courses. And in particular, the course that I um, took that had you know, initiated such an important series of events in my own life. Um, I write about that course in my book, which is called We Are All Perfectly Fine. And that book is available uh, from all uh, major online booksellers in the United States and is published by HarperCollins. Well, everybody take a look again. Thanks, Dr. Horton. That's it for today's Moving Medicine video and podcast. We'll be back with another segment soon. Remember to click subscribe on AMA's YouTube channel or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can find all our videos and podcasts at ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thanks for joining us. Please take care. This has been Moving Medicine, a podcast by the American Medical Association. Subscribe to other great AMA podcasts available wherever you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. I'm Todd Unger, and this is Moving Medicine.